Anything we could do to increase that accessibility was really our ultimate goal. From DJs to door prizes, how Fraser Health is getting creative with an overnight vaccine marathon. Plus, responsible for killing hundreds of swans per year. Lead shot in a local lake, the petition to remove the pellets poisoning swans. And Father's Day forecast, what you need to know about a short-lived heat wave coming our way. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. The push is on to get more and more people vaccinated against COVID-19 this weekend. Nationally, 20% of Canadians are fully vaccinated, with more than 75% having received their first dose. Here in BC, officials in Fraser Health are trying new and novel ideas to get those not yet vaccinated to get that jab. Paul Johnson has more. Strike up the band and take your place in line. The Vaxathon has come to Surrey. Sure, it's a good thing. Anytime they can get more needles in people, it's, it's good. Good indeed. After seeing the success of a similar event in Ontario, Fraser Health pulled out all the stops to organize one here. 7,000 shots administered all day and all night to anyone over the age of 12, enticing them in with a festive atmosphere. Those trumpets from the VSO, bagpipes, and even a DJ to keep people pumped up. So anything we could do to increase that accessibility was really our ultimate goal. And so if we can offer um, times where we haven't offered before and that will get people here to get their first doses, then that's exactly what we wanted to accomplish. Before the cynical among you pass judgment on a telethon-like public health project, consider this, they work. The urgency of an hours-long, focused campaign has the effect of getting people's attention. For the VSO trumpet section, it meant getting their shots and some much-needed practice. It's great to play for people again. It's been about a year and a half since we've been having live people to play for. Second dose? The Fraser Health Vaxathon will run through 7 p.m. Sunday. Expect food trucks and some special offerings to get dads out on Father's Day. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News. The province says 76.5% of all adults have received their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, while first-shot drop-in clinics are being mobilized for communities where uptake has been low. Kristen Robinson has more on the urban areas interior health is targeting and the transmission concerns as travel opens up. Dozens line up at Grand Forks City Park for the start of a two-day drop-in immunization clinic. We just want to get it so we can start living again. <laughs> the Pfizer shots intended for anyone who has not yet received their first dose of a COVID vaccine, but many here are getting their second jab. We want to be here for our second vaccination. vaccination. Exactly, yes. Yay. This is fantastic. It gets people out, gets them vaccinated and we can carry on with our lives. I found out about the outbreak, that uh, um, it was pretty bad here a couple weeks ago. In early June, Grand Forks had the highest transmission rate in the province by local health area, with an average of 13 new cases daily for every 100,000 people. That number has since been reduced to just one new case for every 100,000. Hey, Doctors say the mobile push is all about getting supply to those who haven't taken their shot at immunity. 
for some of those people, we know that it might be an accessibility issue or it might be a complacency issue, might be a convenience issue. Um, so it's really to kind of meet people where they're at. Interior Health will take its no appointment required model to neighborhoods in Kelowna, West Kelowna, Kamloops, Vernon, Penticton and Salmon Arm next week. Windermere, um, South Caribou, Kootenay Lake, and Kimberley. They're in the last week have all seen rising case um, rates. But it could be from Albertans coming over. It could be people leaving the lower mainland. Windermere in the East Kootenay, a lake community of just over 1,000 near the Alberta border, has seen its local health area transmission rate rise from an average of eight new cases daily to 26 for every 100,000 people. That I think is a bit concerning as we open up to provincial travel. If you haven't had a vaccine and you're traveling across the province, then you're a potential vector of transmission. (laughs) The best defense for small communities, a good level of vaccination protection. Kristen Robinson, Global News. In Vancouver's West End last night, a brawl that was caught on camera left a number of officers injured. Vancouver police say officers were initially called to the disturbance involving as many as 10 people near the Cactus Club on English Bay. When police attempted to arrest one of the suspects who wouldn't leave the area, VPD says he began causing a scene and assaulted at least one of the officers. Several members of the crowd then began harassing the officers. Other police officers were called in to help keep the crowd back. VPD says three officers were hurt and one was taken to hospital with what's described as a serious injury. A North Vancouver man in his 20s is facing multiple charges. In the Okanagan, the community of Naramata has been shaken by three murders since the beginning of May. Police believe the three killings are linked. Now charges have been laid in a double homicide case, but the third murder of a 57-year-old mother and businesswoman remains unsolved. It's hard to imagine all of the recent events that have happened in the quiet community of Naramata. First, on May 10th, the bodies of two brothers from Kamloops were discovered on a forest service road. They were 29-year-old Eric Fryer and his 31-year-old brother, Carlo. These homicides are related to gang activities and and the drug trade, Um, and not just in the Naramata area, but in other parts of the province, including northern BC and, and, of course, the lower mainland. Then, on June 9th, while police were investigating the double homicide, they went to the home of Kathy Richardson. The house was not secure, so police went inside, and there they found Richardson's body. RCMP say they believe all three of the homicides are related. The very next day, June 10th, Kathy Richardson's 32-year-old son Wade Cudmore was arrested on unrelated outstanding warrants. On June 17th, his lawyer applied for a closed-door bail hearing protected by a publication ban. On June 18th, first-degree murder charges are approved for both Cudmore and 35-year-old Anthony Graham of Penticton for the deaths of the Fryer brothers. And that leads to questions about Richardson's death. Friends and neighbours don't believe the hairstylist, volunteer firefighter and single mother had anything to do with the drug trade. They describe her as a bright spirit who would help anybody and a mama bear who wanted to get her kid out of hot water. No one has been charged in connection to her death and police are not commenting. I have to respect that we have an ongoing investigation there that I just do not want to compromise. In addition, we have these two latest charges 
that have just been approved by the BC Prosecution Service. And this file is now entering into that judicial process phase. I, I just can't compromise anything here. So I'm unable to get into any further specifics with respect to that case. Police are, however, talking about the need to find Anthony Graham, who is still at large and considered armed and dangerous. We do believe that he is uh, potentially a target for future violence. Um, So we caution anybody who may be associated to him or anybody that may be in his close proximity that they could also be um, at risk of, of harm as well. Police say Graham could be anywhere by now. If you see him, do not approach him. Simply call 911. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. RCMP in southeastern B.C. are appealing to the public for help in a more than six-year-old murder case. 26-year-old Clint Wolfleg was found deceased inside his home on the Lower Kootenai First Nation near Creston on May 31st of 2015. Wolfleg's identity was only publicly released this week as homicide investigators search for clues to advance their investigation. Police believe people in the Creston area may have information that could assist in solving Wolfleg's murder, but have been reluctant to come forward in the past. Wolfleg is from the Siksika Nation east of Calgary and had recently moved to B.C. Some breaking news out of northern B.C. Fort St. John RCMP say a 32-year-old man remains in custody after allegedly inviting several children to touch him sexually at a local park this morning. Police allege the suspect offered two children a video game card in exchange for sexual touching. He was quickly arrested. An Abbotsford resident has launched a petition calling for lead shot to be removed from a lake on the U.S.-Canada border. As Julia Foy explains, the contamination has led to a recent increase in deaths of trumpeter swans that populate the area. And a warning, the story includes images of animal carcasses. Abbotsford's Judson Lake is alive with birds, small fish and thousands of blooming water lilies. In winter months, this small waterway that spans the U.S. border is a lifeline for trumpeter swans. We get up to 800 swans on the lake. So you'll see them out in the fields feeding during the day, but they come here at night because they're safe from predators. But these same flowers hide a toxic secret. The swans love to eat the roots of the water lilies, and lead shot used by hunters is often ingested as well. It's horrific to watch. Like, they actually get paralysis, they gasp for air, they, it's, (laughs) get choked up, that's, yeah, it's, it's brutal to watch. Wildlife experts have been trying for years to get the swans off of the lake or away from the most toxic areas. In recent years, bamboo poles were added to repel the swans and mortality plummeted by 80%. But then the pandemic hit. This past winter, they said, uh, we don't have any money to do this anymore, and we're moving on to other projects. 200 swans died. It's not that we're standing by and just waiting, you know, just watching birds die. It's that we, you know, it's like I said, it's a multi-million dollar solution. Spraggan says because the lake is privately owned, there's no government funding to remove the lead. But crews may try and install more poles before the swans return. It's pretty disheartening. In the meantime, Sinclair, with the support of an Abbotsford MP, has started a petition which takes aim at lead shot. Lead shot was banned for waterfowl hunting in Canada in 1997, but it's still legal for upland game hunting for ptarmigan, pheasant, quail, target shooting. 
And that petition calls on the government effectively to come up with a plan to address the issue of lead shot in the environment. The petition can be found at savetheswans.ca and is open for signatures until August 30th. Sinclair hopes the public can stop the senseless carnage. Wildlife are dying all over our country because we won't switch to non-toxic alternatives. It's long overdue to do this. Julia Foy, Global News. The first report from BC's Chief Auditor of Mines found that updated regulations for the storage of mine waste are generally in line with the industry's best practices, with a few exceptions. The province updated its requirements after the 2014 failure of the tailings dam at the Mount Polly Copper and Gold Mine in the interior. Millions of cubic metres of mining wastewater spilled into surrounding waterways. The audit found that the rules for tailing storage facilities are generally clear, but some key terms should be clarified. It criticizes the ministry for inconsistent enforcement of tailing storage facilities that are not in operation. That's in contrast to its approach of compliance and enforcement for those which are operating. On the west coast of Vancouver Island, work has begun to start removing oil from a shipwreck that's caused an environmental blight in the waters of a popular marine park. The Canadian Coast Guard says crews have now arrived in Nuka Sound and are pumping oil out of the wreck of the Schkidike. The federal government awarded a $5.7 million contract to a U.S. company to remove fuel that's been leaking into the waters. The vessel sank in 1968 and had been largely forgotten until an oil sheen was spotted last fall. The wreck is sitting at a depth of more than 100 metres. Drone activity temporarily halted an aerial attack on a wildfire burning near Highway 1 south of Lytton today. Air operations on the south side of the 250-hectare George Road wildfire were paused after a drone sighting. B.C. wildfire officials say if a drone collides with firefighting aircraft, the consequences could be deadly. The use of drones is prohibited within a radius of 9 kilometres around a fire and to 3,000 feet or 900 metres above ground level. Anyone caught operating a drone that interferes with a firefight could be fined up to $100,000 and jailed for up to one year or both. It is really frustrating. Um, Us at BC Wildfire Service, obviously our first priority is safety. And this is a huge safety risk. And and the outcome, if if a drone collided with a helicopter, it could be very catastrophic. Um, Yeah, and like I said, the fire suppression efforts did have to be halted for an hour and a half on the fire. And that's valuable time that we could be putting onto the fire and dropping water to help with suppression efforts. And the warmer temperatures coming this weekend will not help in the wildfire fight. Meteorologist Yvonne Schell has more on what we should expect. So Yvonne, it's not quite a heat wave. Yeah, it's a mini one, a short-lived one as we're calling it. And special weather statement has been issued from Environment Canada. And what we'll see is temperatures anywhere between 5 and up to 10 degrees above seasonal. The following areas, so Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley, it stretches into Howe Sound, Sunshine Coast, and areas across the island. Victoria will be included within that. We're seeing a ridge of high pressure that will in. Likely seeing the peak of the heat though for Metro Vancouver by Monday. So Sunday and Monday will be the hottest days so far. And those temperatures away from the water will be into the low 30s. Factor in the Humidex, for example, for areas near Abbotsford into the Fraser Valley, it'll be feeling closer to 33, a few spots even warmer. So we are going to continue to track the heat. It'll be hot for the interior areas. I'll have those numbers coming up very shortly. Need to? Need to? Looking forward to those. Thanks so much, Yvonne. And after the break, rescuing 11 dogs 
dogs, how firefighters and neighbors saved the pets trapped inside a burning home with no humans inside. Plus, pushing the PM, families of victims of police violence rally in Ottawa. Their calls to action, next. Surrey firefighters responding to a massive pier fire overnight. The flames broke out just after 10.30 at a decommissioned pier close to the Patello Bridge. Thick flames and plumes of smoke were seen for kilometres as they billowed into the sky. Flames were burning on the farthest side of the pier and a metal roof collapsed, making the fire difficult to put out. 25 firefighters fought a defensive battle against the flames from the shore. It's an L-shaped 100 by 250 feet. Uh, all creosote, so uh, we were fortunate the, the smoke rose straight up into the atmosphere, so we didn't have any smoke conditions to deal with for firefighting. So far, there's no word on what sparked the fire, and there are no reports of any injuries. More than two dozen firefighters battled a large house fire in Lake Country this weekend, but even before crews arrived, nearby residents broke into the burning home to save some furry friends. Darian Matessa Fung has that story. Quick thinking and brave actions by some Lake Country residents led to eight puppies being rescued from a burning home. The fire had engulfed almost the entire roof and some of the attic at a home on Hallam Road when the heroic neighbours decided to enter the home. We hear puppies inside and so my dad and one of the guys were trying to like break down the front door but it wasn't working and so then I sprinted home and grabbed a hammer. And then uh, I started smashing the side window that's like right next to the door. And so I smashed that and then we unlocked the door. And then a group of us ran inside the house trying to find the puppies that we heard. And yeah, so then we just grabbed all the puppies and we were running them out to the front yard. The blaze took place on June 17th in the late afternoon. Lake Country Fire Department had to enter the home to save the other three adult dogs who couldn't be found by the Good Samaritans. Crews made entry and fairly quickly we found uh, two of the uh, full-grown dogs on the main floor. Um, we searched uh, initially for the third dog which was up on the uh, top floor where the fire had actually burned into the attic space and the ceilings were falling down. So uh, it took some time, but uh, eventually we were able to locate that third dog on the third floor. It was uh, hiding in a bathroom behind a toilet in about a foot of water. The final dog had suffered from severe smoke inhalation. Firefighters were able to give it oxygen, and the dog was then transported to an animal hospital in Kelowna. The firefighters believe the dog will recover just fine. The homeowners, who were not home at the start of the blaze, arrived shortly after. They were extremely happy that obviously nobody got hurt in the fire, but their pets meant a lot to them. And uh, they were pretty overwhelmed when the, when the dog was found and, and uh, the dog was still alive. The cause of the fire is under investigation. Darian Matasafung, Global News, Lake Country. While the current shortage of bicycles and bike parts might be an inconvenience to most people, but for some, it's a life-altering problem. For nearly 30 years, the Vancouver group Our Community Bikes has provided bicycles, maintenance, work opportunities, job training, and bike parts for those who need them the most, such as lower-income Vancouverites, those who can't afford transit, or who have health struggles. They say they've managed to increase their bike distribution by 40% during the pandemic, but they 
still haven't been able to keep up with the growing need. Last month, we had only about 30% of the bikes on hand that we would normally have, and it's just the beginning of the season. We're definitely noticing a shortage of bikes here as well. When I came here, I didn't have any resources, financial resources, and I didn't have any money in my bank account. I desperately needed money, so I had to economize. Thanks to this bike, it was possible for me to pick up different items from my neighbors. The organization is asking for any donations of bikes or bike parts. Information is available on their website. You can Google Our Community Bikes or find out more at their Main Street location in Vancouver. And coming up, outrage over police treatment of a teenager. And I asked one of the police officers, is it because my son is black that he has to go through this? What we're hearing from police in Montreal after officers are filmed kneeling on his neck and back. Plus... America's newest federal holiday is marked for the first time commemorating the end of slavery. In Winnipeg, a 12-year-old boy is dead after being stabbed during a fight between two groups. It happened last night. Police arrived to find the 12-year-old seriously injured lying on the street. He was transported to hospital where he died from his injuries. I struggle with finding a word to describe um, this homicide, um, specifically the involvement of the, the 12-year-old that became deceased. So there's a number of details involved that are particularly troubling, details that we may be able to share uh, when in a, a charges are laid, um, but there's some details ultimately that will perhaps come out when this is dealt with in the court system. No charges have been laid, but police say their investigation has progressed significantly. Juneteenth was marked across the U.S. today and for the first time as a federal holiday. Large and small celebrations are being held. The day recalls June 19, 1865, when Union soldiers brought the news of freedom to enslaved black people in Texas. It's particularly significant this year after Congress and President Joe Biden created a federal holiday to commemorate the end of slavery. Here in Canada, the group Black Lives Matter held a rally outside Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's office, demanding changes to the justice system and renewing a call to defund the police. The demonstration included families of black and indigenous people who died during interactions with police. In Montreal, video has emerged of a police officer pressing his knee against the neck of a 14-year-old boy. For many, the incident is reminiscent of what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis last year. An internal investigation is underway, but many say this incident has further shaken the trust between the city's black community and the police. A warning, some may find the images in our story disturbing. The video is difficult for many to watch. A Montreal police officer applies his knee to the neck of an adolescent who is being detained. A spokesperson for the department says the suspect was resisting arrest and was armed with a taser. But the mother of the 14-year-old, who doesn't want to be identified, is furious. It's really painful for me. The teenager's mother says the images bring back memories of George Floyd, who was killed after a Minneapolis police officer applied his knee to Floyd's neck. And I asked one of the police officers, is it because my son is black that he has to go through this? Police were responding to a call about a fight at the Georges Vanier High School. They say an investigation has been launched. But at no time was the intent to apply the officer's knee to the teenager's neck.
it might happen that the knee might not be exactly at the right spot. Now, I'm not saying this is the case. We'll let our experts do their job, uh, but, you know, it happens. The mother says her son didn't suffer any serious injuries. He's emotionally scarred and has lost faith in the police. She doesn't think Montreal police officers have improved their relations with the black community. They did not learn anything because if they have learned something, they wouldn't act like that. Some of them images that I saw was shocking for me. Quebec MA Franz Benjamin was sent the video and is glad an investigation has been launched, but he finds it hard to watch. I saw a young boy, 14, 15 years old, handcuffed in the back, uh, face to the floor, who didn't oppose any resistance. Many say incidents like this make a strong case for body cameras to be used. Once we have body cam, it has to work. And that means that it can also be used in court. For now, only pilot projects are underway. There's no set date to implement when body cams come into force to help shed more light into cases like this. Tim Sargent, Global News, Montreal. In health matters, the federal government wants to ban most flavored vaping products in hopes of reducing their appeal to youth. Health Canada has put forward draft regulations that would restrict all e-cigarette flavors except for tobacco, mint and menthol. It would also set the standards that would limit the tastes and smells that vaping manufacturers can evoke. Research suggests that sweet-flavored vaping products are more appealing to young people and perceived to be less harmful than tobacco-related flavors. Ontario and B.C. have limited the sale of flavored e-cigarettes to age-restricted specialty stores. But the Vaping Industry Trade Association argue that such restrictions will prevent smokers from making the transition to e-cigarettes while doing little to curb youth vaping. A new report found that taxing sweetened drinks and food items does cause some people to consume less of it. A study in the Journal of the American Medical Association looked at the impact of a sugar tax in Philadelphia. Researchers found that sales of sweetened drinks dropped by 42% at stores that charged more. The decrease was especially significant in lower-income communities. As of April 1st, British Columbians started paying the provincial sales tax on sugary drinks. And coming up, no room for racism. I wanted to do inequalities, and I knew racism was one of the bigger ones. How this student transformed a school project into a fundraiser. Next. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Monica Lewinsky responds to an HBO intern's mistake that went viral. More on her advice next. But first, let's bring back meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at the forecast. Yvonne, we're talking about that heat for Father's Day. Yeah, for Father's Day and the first day of summer, the heat is on. Mother Nature's cranking it up. We'll have temperatures soaring into the 30s. I'll have more on that in just a moment. But a quick glance at what it looks like outside this evening. We've had a fair bit of cloud cover, and it is going to clear out, especially overnight leading in through the morning hours for tomorrow. We're sitting at 18. We've got a southwesterly wind at 19 kilometers per hour. Clouds clearing overnight tonight. We're down to four. 14 degrees and then we'll start to watch the heat the sunshine tomorrow anywhere between 23 and then away from the water it'll be up to 30 degrees but it's the humidex that's going to make it feel like 33 and the uv index will be at nine or very high and this is for both sunday and monday so a heads up here's a quick glance at the satellite for this evening we still have a bit of instability for for example into the southern interior tonight into the okanagan slight chance of a shower we could see that into the southeastern corners and then it is going to ease off with that ridge of high 
pressure that's building in place. So the special weather statement for the following areas, 5 and up to 10 degrees above seasonal. It stretches in towards the Fraser Valley. And a look at the numbers for the Abbotsford. These are away from the water. The Okanagan, for example, will get into the low 30s. It'll likely peak on Tuesday and then it picks up again towards the end of the week. So we are going to continue to see that heat. And a reminder, the fire danger rating, this is an update from today, with many spots already at moderate in yellow and we are approaching high as we get in through the next few. So please be very diligent if you are outdoors. Here's a glance, though, for the northern half of the province. A bit more cloud cover is rolling in along the coast. It'll be hot tomorrow inland, potentially up to 27 and 28 degrees for areas near Terrace and Smithers. We'll see the sunshine for the central interior. It'll be similar for the southern half. Temperatures, though, for the southern interior really start to heat up for Tuesday, Wednesday, and that'll likely be the peak of it. But still hot and sunny for all areas along the south coast. The special weather statement along the island for the eastern areas and inland. Victoria will be included within that. For our Father's Day, it is going to be a hot one. We'll talk about the temperatures once again leading in towards Monday. Great stretch of warm weather to kick things off for our first week of summer, Nithu. And then as we get in towards Wednesday, we could see a few clouds. It'll be a slight reprieve with a touch cooler. But for the next few, be prepared for the heat. Nithu? I think we're all ready for it. You bet. Thanks, Yvonne. An intern received an outpouring of support online for sending out a mass email in error. On Thursday, HBO Max's help desk posted that they had mistakenly sent out an empty test email to a portion of their mailing list. They apologized for the inconvenience, and as the jokes pile in, yes, it was the intern, no really, and we're helping them through it. The email had the subject line, integration test email number one. That email fail spawned a wave of dear intern posts on social media. Among those words of support, infamous former intern Monica Lewinsky, who wrote, Dear intern, it gets better, followed by a heart emoji adding, P.S. Don't wear a beret for a while, okay? <laughs> Fantastic. Very sweet of her to do yeah. that. And too bad the unsend function doesn't yeah. last a little longer than a few seconds. No, just it's very <laughs> quick. You've got to be quick on there. You all hit send by mistake. Yes. We Many have times. All been there. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully not the case for you today in sports, Barry. No, no. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a great day in sports. Uh, we have a Canadian at the top of the leaderboard at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. So we'll have uh, a lot of highlights of that coming uh, coming up. And uh, tennis, a couple opportunities for Canada to get to uh, finals at uh, grass court tournaments in Europe as well coming up in a few minutes. All right. Lots to look forward to. Also coming up on the News Hour, a hands-on history lesson. It was so nice to have the kids to be involved uh, with this heritage project. What elementary school students helping to clean up a Chinese cemetery are saying about the experience. Next. In the interior, a group of elementary school students got a hands-on lesson about Canadian history right in their backyard. As Chad Klassen of CFJC News reports, they were able to learn firsthand about some of the labourers who immigrated from China during the 19th century to help build the railway line to Kamloops. These are all the Chinese ancestors, you know, so, so these are the, see, the railroad workers. The ranchers. They are among the roughly 250 Chinese Canadians buried here at the Kamloops Chinese Cemetery. While they're not family members of anyone currently living in the city, their burial sites are still important to the Chinese community. Those are the ones that had the Chinese group in Kamloops, so still counted as our ancestors, and they have done a lot, devoted so much for Canada, 
and uh, for the Chinese group. Back in the late 1800s, some Chinese people came to BC to help build the railroad. They were often put in more dangerous situations, like dealing with dynamite, for example, while also being paid less, a dollar a day versus $2.50 a day for the Caucasian laborers. Mrs. CJ's grade 4-5 class from the Kamloops School of the Arts has been learning about how poorly the Chinese were treated by the Canadian government. However, that wasn't quite enough for the students. We tried to look at some local heritage that was connected to that. So we came to the Chinese cemetery and the children, the students looked around and said, hey, I think we could do something here. On Wednesday, the students spent the morning repainting the symbols in front of the unnamed burial sites, as well as doing some landscaping to make the cemetery look nice. The students wanted to put their learning into practice after hearing about the atrocities against the Chinese people. Well, we learned a lot about the Canadian Pacific Railway and how like how many people died, died and what, what the, the Chinese, Chinese workers went through and how it was unfair because the whites got paid, they got paid two times as more. They, they were injured, they got to go to the hospital, but they, the exact opposite with the Chinese. A Surrey student is getting high marks for turning a class project into a message against racism and raising money along the way. <laughs> Madden Breckwalt designed shirts with the words no room for racism to give away to his classmates and teachers at Fraser Valley School. They have now sold dozens, raising $300 for the Indian Residential School Survivors Society. I wanted to do inequalities and I knew racism was one of the bigger ones. So I thought it would be cool to help kind of stop racism. The conversations around anti-racism are really, really important right now and they're coming out and this is so important for our young learners to be talking about and this is just the first step. Madden and his family will continue selling t-shirts for $25 each to raise even more funds. If you're interested, you can email them at noroomforracism2021 at gmail.com to receive an order form. And coming up, getting full audiences back. It's a 2,500-seat theater, so there's a bit of work to do to get it full. The Vancouver Symphony Orchestra's message as it resumes in-person performances. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. Tune into Canada Together right here on Global BC. Watch Canada Together, a special broadcast airing July 1st at 11 a.m. on Global BC. The special will feature performances from 5440, Delhi to Dublin, Eagle Song Dancers, and much more. From July 19th through August 3rd, Vancouver Pride Society will take over the city with over 60 in-person and virtual events, including Van Pride Fest, pop-up Pride Lounges, a digital decentralized Pride Parade, and much more. For info, go to vancouverpride.ca. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Before we get to Barry and sports, one of India's most celebrated athletes has passed away. Milka Singh, also known as the Flying Sikh, was the first Indian athlete to win a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games in the 400 metres back in 1958. 
He narrowly missed out on an Olympic medal, finishing fourth at the 400-meter final in the 1960 Rome Games. Singh was born in a small village of undivided India, now Pakistan. He saw his parents and siblings being killed during the partition. Singh died Friday of complications from COVID-19, five days after his wife, former national volleyball captain Nirmal Kaur, died of the same ailment. He was 91 and she was 85. All right, time now to bring in Barry and another busy weekend in sports. Let's start with the latest in golf. All right, thanks, Nihua. Only two Canadians have ever won golf majors. Mike Weir in the 2003 Masters, Brooke Henderson in 2017 won the LPGA Championship. But now another Canadian hopes to join them. Ontario's Mackenzie Hughes had a sparkling third round today at Torrey Pines and is in the hunt for the biggest victory of his professional career. Another beautiful, picturesque day at Torrey Pines. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin began the day just five shots off the lead, paired with two-time champs uh, Brooks Kepka today. Hadwin birdie at number two, but that was uh, one of his few highlights. Four over 75 today, he's tied 41st. Meanwhile, Mackenzie Hughes of Hamilton, his approach at the fifth almost goes in for an eagle, but uh, he will settle for the birdie putt. Got him back to two under. Rory McIlroy, 2011 U.S. Open champion from the thick rough at 12, the uh, second toughest hole on the course. Well, it helps when you can make a birdie from that thick U.S. Open rough. Rory, low round of the day, four under 67. He's three under. Defending champ Bryson DeChambeau also in the hunt. Clean scorecard today. Bogey free, three under 69. He's three under. Tied third with McElroy, or tied fourth at least. Back to Mac Hughes after a great tee shot at 11. Gently knocks in the birdie putt. Gets back to two under. Tied seventh, three back. He's chasing Russell Henley, the American from the bunker at 11. No putter required. Birdie for Henley gets to six under at a three-shot lead at one point, but not for long. Mackenzie Hughes, this is from 63 feet for Eagle at the par 5 13th, and it's absolutely perfect as it enters the hole. Hughes jumps into solo second at four under, two back of Henley. 18th hole now. Hughes lining up a short birdie putt on the par 5 from five and a half feet. Yes, sir. Three under 68. And Mackenzie Hughes is tied for the lead at the U.S. Open. But South African Louis Oosthuizen at 18. This is also for an eagle. 51-footer. Louis won a major before the Open Championship. This goes down for an eagle as well. Oosthuizen jumps into a tie for the lead at five under with Hughes and Henley. So it'll be Hughes and Oosthuizen in the final pair with Hughes looking for more thrills like that eagle at 13. Again, just the charge through your body when that ball goes in the hole and the crowd erupts is um, kind of why we play and just, yeah, gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. So it was a lot of fun and I've been fortunate to do that a few times uh, this week. All right, Stanley Cup semifinals, game four, Lightning and Islanders from a raucous Nassau County Coliseum. There's Coquitlam's Matthew Barzell, the key player for the Isles. They get the icebreaker in the second. Brock Nelson with the nifty backhand to Josh Bailey, who wires it top shelf on Vasilevsky. That is an NHL wrister right there, one nothing Islanders. Then on the power play, the point shot will hit an Islander in front. Perfect bounce to Barzell, who will never miss that one. That's his sixth of the playoffs, and the Islanders very late in the second lead it 2-0. 
Soccer now, Euro 2020, packed stadium in Budapest as Hungary was uh, taking on defending world champion France. No scoring until late first half. Attila Fiola, strong run, squeezes it inside the post. Hungary out in front, and the crowd is loving that. But France, avec la réponse. Kylian Mbappe controlling it inside the box. Pass goes off a defender right to Antoine Griezmann. A fortunate bounce for the French, who settle for a one-all draw with Hungary. Also in Group F, huge match between Cristiano Ronaldo's Portugal and Germany. Not many giving the Germans much of a chance in this tournament, and it did not start well for them. Portugal on the attack, and Ronaldo will not score an easier one than that. 1-0 Portugal, but then the Germans roar back, and they got a little help. Robin Gosens with the cross. But it's deflected in by Ruben Diaz for an own goal. So it's 1-1. And just four minutes after that, more friendly fire costs the Portuguese. This time, Rafael Guerrero knocks in the Joshua Kimmich cross. 2-1, Germany lead it at the half. Second half, Germans keep coming. This time, their guys score the goals. First, it's Kai Havertz off the service from Kimmich. 3-1, Germany. Portugal reeling now, and the uh, Germans punish them for another. Robin Gosens heading it home here, and Germany with a big three points beat Portugal 4-2. Both teams at 1-1 one one with three points in Group F. And from Group E, Poland taking on Spain. Spanish strike first, 25th minute, Alvaro Morata. Now, that was a re- initially ruled offside. The offside, the flag was up, but overturned on video review. So a good goal, and it's 1-0 Spain. Poland answer, though, early second half, and who else would it be but the great Robert Lewandowski heads it inside the far post. It ends 1-1, second straight draw for Spain. That's Poland's first point in Group E. Denis Shapovalov in the semifinals at the Queen's Club in London, taking on Great Britain's Cameron Norrie. Shapovalov... Looking good early. The big uh, overhand smash here was up a break, but ended up dropping the opening set 7-5. Dennis needed a medical timeout. Has a pain right about there, and Nori was a pain as well. When they resumed, Nori kept the pressure on, and he will get the key a break of serve at 4-3 in the second, thanks to the forehand winner right there. And Shapovalov ousted in straight sets at Queen's Club 7-5. 6-3. Meanwhile, in Halle, Germany, Shapovalov's good friend Felix Ogialiasim in the semis against France's Hugo Ambert. Felix upset Roger Federer early this week. Ambert took the opening set, but Felix won the second set. Ambert goes down there on the grass, which can get slippery as it wears on during the week. Fortunate he didn't injure himself. Final set went to a tie break, and it's the Frenchman who comes up with the big shots. Backhand winner down the line, so Felix falls in three sets. Wimbledon begins a week from Monday. Jays and Orioles, Toronto's horrendous bullpen has cost them so many games this year, and it's finally taken its toll. Jays on a five-game losing streak, but Vladdy Guerrero continues to tear the cover off the ball. 23rd homer leads the majors, 2-0 Jays early. Toronto fell behind 7-3, but they rallied. Two out in the ninth, down 7-5. Bo Bichette will bloop one that just falls in short right field. Finally, a break for the Jays. Ties it up 7-7. And then Guerrero, who loves that first pitch, jumps on it. Cracks a double. Two more runs score. 59 RBI also leads the majors. Jays with a nice comeback. Six runs in the ninth to beat the Orioles 10-7.
And we will finish with some NBA playoffs. Game seven, winner take all. Nets and Bucks from Brooklyn, first quarter. Kevin Durant with the bucket there as he falls to the floor. 10 in the first quarter for KD. Nets led by three. Second quarter, more from Durant, who had 49 points in game five of the series. He has 20 at the half as the Nets lead at 53-47. That is it for sports. Neepu, back to you. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, the call to action for anyone wanting to support the arts as the VSO welcomes back live audiences. Stay with us. Our world is changing fast, but the plan remains the same. Ask the questions, explain the answers, provide the context. When and where BC needs it most. Global News. Navigate the now. Well, 454 agonizing days since they last played in front of an audience, the Vancouver Symphony performed before an adorning public. Okay, it wasn't a huge public, but they were live. 50 people welcomed back to the Orpheum this morning for the first of four performances. The crowd size in line with provincial COVID-19 measures. Orchestra executives say they're thrilled to feel an audience's energy once again. We're working very hard on our plans for the fall. Whether we can have 500, 1,000, 1,500 people in the concert hall, we'll be ready. Uh, the public should expect us to make some announcements late summer about what next season looks like. But we will have concerts, we will have audiences, we will keep broadcasting our digital performances. Uh, we're really looking forward to probably one of the most exciting seasons we've ever had. <laughs> Always fun to go. I'm excited to get to, for that. Get to dress up, pretend you know something about classical music. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you speak from experience. At least me. Yeah. <laughs> I can fake it pretty good, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Yvonne, one final check on the forecast before we let our viewers go. The heat is on and it kicks off tomorrow. Temperatures away from the water will feel into the low 30s, so a heads up. Still another hot one for Monday and then sunny and warm into early next week as well. But the two hottest days will be for tomorrow and Monday. All right, grab that sunscreen and those sunnies as well. Thanks so much for joining us. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11.